Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. This is my interview with Jay Baker, who has his own uh, museum <laughs> in Florida with the Yankee stuff. So thanks, sponsors, Top Spinini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC.com, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So Jay and I had a great uh, conversation. Uh, he's a huge uh, Yankee fan. I'm not, except I appreciate the Yankee icons, but he's fabulous collection, and I hope you'll enjoy, as I did, him narrating how he uh, got some of these uh, great items. I had memorabilia, but at some point I had a fork in the road. I had either go toward more memorabilia or more toward cards, and I went toward cards. And that's... I went the other way. <laughs> I I fully understand that. and. Uh, the main reason it had nothing to do with the beauty or the investability or the, the fun of the chase. It was logistics. I just I don't <laughs> think I would have had room because back in the day, everything wasn't easy to find, but it wasn't that expensive. That's uh, correct. I've seen a big change, unfortunately. Yeah, now it's expensive. It is, but then it's fortunate that what I bought years ago is probably worth more too. You know, exactly, the same exactly. deal. But yeah, I've been doing for 26 years, so I have some great values, and now you don't get those. Now, you were still an active CEO when you got started. Uh, yes. Patty, about 26 years ago, she came to me at Christmas time and said, all you do is work. And retail is a little nutty. And so there was some truth. She says, I have two balls. Which one do you want? They were both signed by Ruth and Garrett. You know what I said? I want them both. And then I said, that really started it. I had some baseball, some football, some basketball, a little bit of everything, but nothing meaningful. So I finally sat down and said, if I'm going to really collect something, I should really zero in and and make it more meaningful. I've been a Yankee fan since I'm six years old, and that's how I would do it. Guy named Pete Siegel we do a lot with. And I just thought, what would make sense? And then I came up with... What about the best players? I took Ruth Garrick, the manager of Mantle. That's how this all started. And later I said, the great guy now is Jeter, so I added Jeter. So those are my five greatest Yankees. Now people could argue, Rivera could argue, Yogi Berra, maybe a couple of others. But this is pretty good as the best five, I think. <laughs> pretty much in there. That's how it all really started. With the- Okay, but how did she you know, come up with these balls? And how early did you lock in with Pete? Because I think the chase of how you got some curation or vetting or that uh, Pete's an important part of the story. Did he come along very quickly? Yeah. Uh, he did, uh, York or? I, I didn't get these balls from him. She got them some other place and it was a mistake, but she bought one and they sent two. <laughs> so she, she really, really didn't buy two, but it ended up buying two. And then she had met Pete also along the way first. And so Pete's very much in the very beginning of all this. Yes, because I knew I had the idea, but how do you do this? And how do you really make it happen? And it's a little complicated. And having him was a great help for me. It's very complicated, but it it helps if you have enough money to buy some nice things. But did Pete steer you immediately to memorabilia or was that your interest from the start? Because there's been a lot going on with cards, obviously, in that same period of time. For some reason, I always loved memorabilia. When I was a kid, I collected cards like everybody. Everybody has a sad story. I had six or seven Mickey Mantle rookie cards. I never get rid of them. And I also had great comic collection. I'll tell you that. I had a Batman 1 to 100, Superman 1 to 100. I come home my freshman year in college, all gone. All my cards, Mickey's cards, 
all these comic books and stuff. So I've been collecting a long time and I don't know why I chose memorabilia. I just like looking at it better. It wasn't just, it could be more valuable, less valuable. I, I never thought about that. I just thought I love looking at stuff on my walls and stuff. And I think that's how I, I came about that I wanted the memorabilia instead of cards. It doesn't mean it was the right decision. Or that's what I always wanted to do. But, uh, my point is that I think we're both numbers guys. Yeah. And, uh, I was drawn to cards because of the numbers, not, not just the numbers on the backs of the cards, but the valuation where the fact that there were so many of them or so few, and I could do all that analysis. That was my bent. And it seems like you have a analytical bent as well, but you went I to do. memorabilia, which is very difficult. Again, cards were challenging to price, but there was enough activity. You're looking at one of one kinds of things where you just had to have a feel for, I want to buy this item. I'm never going to see it again. And this seems like a reasonable price. Is that yeah, that's, I think I was lucky when I started 25 years ago because things were a lot cheaper. So you were able to get things at a much different price. And I also went to auctions and learned, and Pete taught me a lot. Also, I would get all the catalogs and you learn a lot. I studied all this stuff to get a feel for what this was all about. I'd go to his store on 57th Street and I'd look at stuff. I look at the autographs to get a feeling what's legitimate. Not this is a lot of stuff that's not legitimate, as unfortunately everybody knows. So I've been pretty fortunate in that. I put a lot of effort into it, and and then I zeroed in to the bulk of my collection are those guys. You can't own everything, but uh, you can own a certain amount. And I decided that's what I wanted to do. Really zero in, and I think that helped my collection. The situation in the last couple of years is that people are, are assembling collections. I think with a mindset of paying whatever it takes. So I'm just wondering, back 20 years ago, was there a time that you felt you were overpaying, that you just wanted it? Or were you think, hey, this is probably a pretty good deal? Because nowadays, the, the uh, modern wealthy collector is saying, I just want it. And even though it's worth X now, I'm going to pay 2X because I'm not going to see it. So do you ever felt like you were overpaying back in the day? I think when we started... You mentioned it originally. It's hard to know what to pay when you first sell. After a while, you get a feel and comparable items, what they sell for, things I own, comparable. But when I saw it, I think Pete helped me a lot from the standpoint of this is a good value. This is important. This is one of a kind or it's one of a few that are out there. And you start to feel that. When you start to go after just, say, those four players to start with, then we branched out to other things. I think it helps a little bit when you zero in. And then you weren't fighting a lot of people and the prices were pretty fair in those days. It's a lot different now. Correct. People want something, they'll pay whatever it is. And so my own thinking now, because I've collected so much and I've been told even by the Hall of Fame, I have the best Yankee collection, certainly not the baseball collection, but I have the best Yankee collection out there. And I now am more like, you know, when I look at stuff, I want to get something that really fits in. So you probably pay a little more now, unfortunately. Oh, but I buy a lot less now. One of the problems is it's all hard to find great. Every once in a while, a great item comes on. Sometimes you get lucky. He might get know about it first or we see it quickly. I helped him a lot too because as we did stuff and we bought very important stuff, like when we bought the Bay Ruth contract with Cursor Bambino, it was on, I think, the back page of the post or the news is and it's his name. Pete Siegel buys this. So people gravitated toward him. So in a way... It helped me, but it also helped him. Okay, so nobody didn't know me. I didn't, I didn't want to be known. One of your competition, which I think you came in after him, was Barry Halper. 
who had a oh, lot yeah. of nice stuff, uh, a part owner of the Yankees. Came in he was uh, mainly the 70s and the 80s. And by the 90s, I think he was slowing down, which is when you were kicking in. So were you competing against him or did you get any of his stuff? Well, I got a few things. He sold a whole bunch of stuff. Some that wasn't so good, but some good stuff. Like I got Lou Gehrig's last glove, which he had sold and I got it from the person he bought it from. So actually he was in the paper business as one of my fraternity brothers who unfortunately just passed away, a very close friend. He was also in the paper business. So he got me in touch with Barry and I talked to him three or four times, but he was ill at the time. He had also sold a lot of his collection, as you remember. So he wasn't the same thing, but we had wonderful discussions about what he had and what he did and everything. And it might be spurred me on a little too. He did it a different way. He was a pawn owner of the Yankees, or he got all his stuff from the Yankees, but he had an incredible collection. So I'm thinking to myself, you can really do this. It just takes time and and money, unfortunately, but it's a combination of both and getting access to things that maybe everybody doesn't see. He had that interesting blend that we're talking about of not being a pure card guy, but not being a pure memorabilia guy. Everything. He had the best of both worlds. And now that's that's almost, I won't say it's prohibitive. It's just that both of those are so challenging. If you're going to go aggressively after cards, that's a full-time job. If you're going to go <laughs> aggressively after premium, very iconic memorabilia, that's a full-time job. No, people certainly have that, but uh, basically it's nearly impossible to do both. I think to really put your effort into both, very different. I have a Mickey card, a couple of things, not a great one, but I have no cards basically. What uh, made you decide to do this uh, museum uh, exhibit, which I don't know if that's permanent, but cards don't well, play as well as memorabilia. Your memorabilia, I saw some pictures, it just looks pretty spectacular the way they, they a couple of reasons one we've been very involved in the museum and from the start it's named after patty and i'm still chair of the board it should have been patty so i love that museum we've been down in naples for many years and so we've been involved in it normally the only people that see my collection are friends come up with something so very few people have really seen it but about 10 years ago we did a fair thing in the museum and the different people were running it then and they weren't sure they wanted to do it. And we got good results from it. But I probably have twice as much stuff now. But on top of it, it was done nicely, but not terrific. All right, I'll just say that. And then I've been talking to Patty and saying, it's a shame. I think it's time. This is stuff that nobody can really see. I have so many one of a kinds or maybe one of two or three. And I think it would be great. And it'd be great for the museum that we really do it. So I spoke to them and... They thought it was a good, they actually came to me, to be honest, and said they would like to do something. They also have our artwork too, and there's a section in it for that. And they just said, we'd love to do that. And they got a guy to design it and everything. So I went through all my stuff with them and what they, they should take. Basically, I had nothing to do with the setup. When I walked in, I was blown away because it's spectacular. It's exciting for me to see my things up there making them look 10 times better than maybe they are. Jay, what happens after... Comes back to here, to my uh, condo, and we put it back. Uh, we have a lot of wall space. We have a pretty big condo. Uh, of course, it doesn't look anything like the museum. You know? <laughs> so I have to negotiate and barter with my wife in order to take more space. And I'm basically run out of space. I have an office here, and, and I still have a ton of stuff in here. It looks like they didn't take a lot of stuff. They took so much, but still I have a lot. I've got an amazing wife too, and there's nothing sports in our house, but I have a man cave. 
<laughs> well, you're a lucky guy. And I can do whatever I want to back here, but in the well, house. Okay. But my point is after uh, May 15th, yeah. you bring it back to your home. But yeah. what's your, uh, does it, at some point, a little bit older than me, and I'm feeling my mortality, does this have a final resting place? Um, I have decided what I want to do. My kids are not into this and I'm never going to sell it. So I want to find a permanent home for them. When you do something like this, you want it to oh. last. And then on top of it, you probably have to find somebody who can help with this and stay with it for a period of time. And you'd have to leave some money toward it. And because of anything, if you don't keep adding and making it fresher or new, it's it boring after a while, correct? And so if I gave it to a museum or did anything like that, it would have to be permanent that they would keep it and they couldn't sell it or whatever arrangements we made without the permission of whoever is left in the family. It won't be me. But surely. So I'm not sure yet. This was a test to see would people come if it's in the museum, if it's set up right. It's so far been a wonderful test. You never know. You, you really don't. Surely Cooperstown would be making overtures toward you. Here's the big problem at Cooperstown, and I've met everybody there from Jane and stuff. They've seen it a few times. The problem there is that you won't get your stuff out there, how they operate. About 80, 90% of what they have is in the basement. Is in the basement, which I've seen that. It's very exciting. Roof gloves and this stuff, and it's in the basement. The, the second best baseball museum in the world is the basement of the Hall of Fame, I think. <laughs> yeah, quantity, no, that's yes. for quantity anyway. <laughs> yeah. But you have some killer items that ought to be on permanent display somewhere. A lot of people can see it. That will happen. I just don't know where it's going to happen, but it will happen. It's not so easy. There are some museums I've talked to, but everything has pluses and minuses. I really don't know where it's going to end up, but it's got to end up someplace that people can enjoy it. When you have a collection like this of many one of a kind and stuff, and the Yankees are the team, whether they are 20 years from now, I can't tell you. Either they love the Yankees or hate them, but they have the most people and then very successful. This was a test to see how things would look done right in a museum. I've been very impressed. They've done a great job. And, and, and nothing would be for sale, even if there was a charitable aspect. Patty and I, we do a lot of charity. 